Welcome, everyone. Our first song is number Yeah. 
119. After this song, we'll have our prayer and scripture reading. Scripture reading comes from Numbers, chapter 20, verse 12. Numbers 20, verse 12, if you'd like to follow along. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me and hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and this time to gather here this, this afternoon to hear your words and sing songs of praise to thee, Father. And Father, it's our desire that everything said and done is pleasing to thy sight, Father. Father, we ask that you be with the church here at Rome, that it do and say the things that you want us to say to bring others to you, Father. And Father, we thank you for Jesus and the love that he had for us, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, Father. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection that we know that we have a place with thee in heaven someday. Father, it's our desire that something will be said or done here this afternoon that will bring somebody to you that will strengthen your church and make you pleased. Father, we ask that you be with the, the elders as they lead us, that you would watch over them and guide them in the decisions that they make. Be with our sick, those that have decided not to come. Father, we say that something would touch them to bring, us back, bring them back to us today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. For our lesson this afternoon, we'll sing number 662. <clears throat> 662. There is a fountain. 
afternoon. Uh, this evening we're talking about another principle we find from Luke chapter 12. So if you grab your Bibles, you're flipping over to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is in the middle of a discussion where he's trying to prepare his disciples uh, and really the, the people uh, to be ready to leave this place, to leave earth, to, to die, and what comes afterwards He's trying to prepare them for that. In verse 41, Peter's beginning to catch on to what he's doing. He's beginning to understand what Jesus is trying to say. In verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all, for us or, or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? you got to love how Jesus always answers a question with a question. <laughs> so he tells this story. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. That's the principle we really need to key in on this afternoon. To whom much is given, much will be required. 
In the verse Dickie read for you this afternoon uh, with the scripture reading, we find Moses, after having led Israel through the wilderness for 40 years, not being able to enter the promised land. If you know much about Moses' life, you know Moses is, he's a man after God's heart. He's, he's much like David, leading a rebellious and insolent people repeatedly. Throughout the years, Moses turns toward God. He, he longs to be in God's presence. In fact, he is in God's presence, and we know that he is, and Israel knew that he was, because when he came down, his face was glowing. He had been changed, like we talked about this morning. Physically, his body had been changed because of his time with the Lord. So here you find a man who is devoted. He's devout. You would have liked Moses. He would have been the leader among your friend group. He, he would have been the guy that's always concerned about what God has to say. Are, are we lining up our lives with who God wants us to be? That's, that would have been Moses' mantra, and it really is Moses' mantra throughout uh, the Pentateuch. You'll find him constantly coming back to that idea. But here in this section of Scripture, God says, because you were not faithful, because you didn't make me holy in the eyes of my people, you're not going to get to come into the promised land. Flip back over to Numbers chapter 20. It's the passage that Dickie read for you this afternoon. and See the words that, Mo that God uses to Moses. Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. Moses strikes the rock. This is that incident. The people are once again thirsty. Uh, if you read through the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy and Exodus, you'll find the people just consistently complaining what it must have been like to be Moses if you could have lived a, a, a day in his shoes. How frustrating leading this people must have been. But for now the umpteenth time they are still complaining and this time they're thirsty and so Moses strikes the rock when he was told to speak to the rock and then it would give them them water he strikes the rock instead that's in verse 11 but in verse 12 the consequences for his action comes immediate and they're harsh he's been leading Israel now for 40 years has lived the last several decades of his life as devoted to Jesus, as devoted to Yahweh, as a person can be. Listen to what happens in verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me. He finds fault in them because they didn't have faith in this instance. Because you didn't believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. The fault is that you didn't view me as holy and you've drugged my name through the mud in the eyes of the people because you disobeyed. You've, you've drugged my name through the mud. Because of that, therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. And we know Moses stands on top of Mount Nebo, doesn't he? And he's able to look across into the land, but it's not his to lead them into this land that's been promised to them. It's not because he's infirm. 
It's not because he's, he's older. It's because of this instant, incident right here where much was given to him, so much was expected from him. Those of us who know God well, more is expected from us. Moses, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, is called a friend of God. God spoke to Moses differently than he spoke to everyone else, right? And this is the passage in Exodus 33, 11, where it says his face glowed because of his, his time spent with the Lord. And in that same passage, he, he says that he was a friend of God. You know how many people are said to be friends of God? One, Moses. It's the only one. Much like David, later on in history, is called a man after God's own heart. There's only one man with that distinction. It's David. Moses is called a friend of God, and he's the only one. He had a special relationship with God, but maybe even more importantly than that, he had this more intimate knowledge, more intimate relationship with God than the rest of the people. But because of Moses' own initiative. God wants that relationship with everyone. Moses simply took advantage of it. But here we find this principle that Jesus draws out of the New Testament in Luke 12, to whom much is given, much is required. If Moses had a special relationship with God, your relationship with him is even more special. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. We live in a better covenant with a better mediator, with better promises. The law of Moses is under the law that he enacted is far inferior to the one that you're living under. So to whom much is given, raise your hand, much is expected, much is required. And so the consequences for Moses' lack of faith, though temporary, um, and though at the end of a life that has been faithfully devoted to God, he still bears consequences because of this, because to whom much is given, much is required. It doesn't seem fair to us, does it? Uh, this story is kind of always stuck in all of our throats and thought, well, why did God, why did God do this to a man that he treated as a friend, the, the man who is done so much for Israel, has led them consistently and, and done so, so well for so long. Why this one incident? Why is, he, why is this promise withheld from him? The thing that he's been looking forward to for four decades, the thing that they've been shooting for for 40 years, he's not, he's not able to lead them in because of this one incident. To whom much is given, much is required. We're reminded of what James says in James chapter 3 when he says, Not many of you should be teachers. Well, why not? Well, because those of us who teach will have a stricter judgment. Well, why is that? Because we know him better than the average person. Moses knew him better than the average person. And so more is expected from him. We don't say this to, to push you away from him. We say this to draw you close to him. Maybe we can 
be better than Moses. Maybe we can be more faithful. Maybe we can learn from his mistake here and remember that to whom much is given, much is required. That ought to not make us pull back from God, but that ought to make us lean in to him. Let me share with you a couple of verses I know you're familiar with. In 2 Peter chapter 2, you find this concept on Peter's lips as well. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 17, he says, These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. It's hor- harsh, right? It's horrible. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he's enslaved. And you know that to be true. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. He envisions, Peter does in this passage, a person who chose to obey Christ, who looks at the world and says, all that is waterless springs. All, those are lies. All they sell are, are half-truths and, and misleading. All that's a facade. The, 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 the hope, uh, the pleasure that this world promises, I see through it now. Um, and, and I look at Christ and I see Him holding up His end of the bargain. I see Him fulfilling the promises. I see hope. I see joy. I see glory in Him. I forsake all that. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not turning back. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in in both feet. I'm going to follow Him. Peter envisions this person who has seen the world for what it really is, the lies that it really sells. And that person has, has jumped into faith with both feet. Now the world has entangled them again. Like Demas, Paul's co-worker, uh, that he talks about it in some of his epistles. This guy has become entangled again with the world. He's bought into the lies that the world has sold. Though he knows Christ and has believed the promises, he is entangled again by the cares of the world. Peter says it's worse for this guy now than it was before he was a believer. Because to whom much is given, much is required. You know him. You know God. Because of that relationship, he expects more from you than he does the average person. To whom much is given, much is required. Let me give you another verse. It's in Hebrews chapter 6. 
verses 4 through 6. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Verse 4, he says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. You see, the writer of Hebrews envisions the same scenario as Peter. Here's a person who looks at the world and says, I don't believe that anymore. I once thought that that would bring me pleasure. I once thought that that was my goal, and I don't believe that anymore. I'm ready to throw that away because I know that that's fake. I know that that's not real, that that's a mirage on the desert that's it's just going to hurt me. It only leads to my pain. I see that for what it is now, and I see Jesus as the answer to every one of my problems and the answer to every one of my hopes. And so I'm in. I'm with him. I'm following devotedly. The Hebrew writer pictures the same scenario as Peter does here, but he gives you maybe a bit more of the seriousness than Peter does in his letter. The person who sees the world's lies for what they are, sees Jesus' truths for what they are, but then turns his back on Jesus' truths and gets entangled in the world again, that person has crucified once again the Son of God. And they're holding him up to contempt. You see, originally when he was crucified, they held him up to contempt, didn't they? That's what the cross was. It was a sign of contempt. That's why robbers were, were, uh, were crucified with him, were executed alongside him, because this is a sign of contempt. But for Christians, it's not a sign of foolishness, is it? It's a sign of power. It's a sign of transformation. It's a sign of glory. But for those of us that have turned our backs on him who are not following devotedly, it's a sign of contempt. We've held him up once again to contempt. And he says in verse 4, it's impossible to return those people back to faith. Because God won't forgive them? No. If they turn, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. First John 1, 9, right? So the fault is not on him. If they were to turn and return, he accepts them back. That's the good news of the gospel. The fault is not with him, it lies with, with us. We're not, we're not willing at that point to come back. Our, our hearts are too hard. Much like Pharaoh in the Old Testament and Herod in the New Testament, their hearts are too hard. They, they've chosen to do what they want to do. And they're, now they're dead set on it. And consequences go out the window. But one day they're going to pay those consequences, aren't they? And the Hebrew writer and Peter envisions that day when it's worse for them to have turned their back knowing God's promises, knowing His power, His transformation power. Once they turn their backs on them, it's worse for them 
sin than it was before they were a believer. Because to whom much is given, much is required. That's why Moses didn't get to come into the promised land. That's why these verses in the New Testament speak to such a harsh reality. Because you know him and know him well. Much is required of you. Okay. <laughs> um, so, as we think through the ramifications of this concept that we find all throughout the Bible, it's, it's Old Testament, it's New Testament, this is the way God treats people to whom much is given, much is required. As we think through the ramifications of that principle, we need to think how much have we been given? How, how blessed are we under Jesus' new covenant to not only have the promises of the church, of being around like-minded people, being encouraged. What, what an incredible grace that is. Not only do we have the promise of heaven, something that we should strive for every day, but we also have the promises of salvation. We have the promises of of peace. Um, we have the promises of fellowship with one another. To turn our back on those things would be worse for us then than it would be before we were a believer to whom much is given, much is required. So today what's required of you. You've been given much. You know him. The 1 p.m. crowd is the cream of the crop, right? You study your Bibles, you pray regularly, you work the spiritual disciplines, you love each other and you love him. I'm saying don't stop. Keep going. To whom much is given, much is required. Where are you today? You've been given much. What's required from you? And have you given everything to follow him? If you have a need this afternoon, why don't you come as we stand and sing. I hear thy welcome voice Wow.
Good afternoon, church family. Um, in a few minutes, the bus will be leaving for all us men who have not picked up our wives a Christmas gift yet. Ball closes at five. <laughs> Six. Jerry knows. He's, he, and they're wrapping presents up there, so there you go. I'm joking. We're not taking the trip. Even y'all might be disappointed. But um, uh, a couple announcements. Uh, as a reminder that uh, next Sunday, no potluck, but we'll have services at 6 o'clock. And then after our 6 o'clock service, um, there will be a game night, uh, bringing a new year. Uh, so everybody's welcome to come to that. Also, this coming Wednesday is a deadline to sign your title up for CYC. Uh, Blake is going on a mission trip through Harding University. And uh, during spring break, and is looking to raise support for that. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers and Jim Martin and Jackie Hutchison in your prayers. Remember, continue to keep Friday Simpson and uh, David Houck in your prayers and keep Amber Payne's mother in your prayers as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Um, I do hope everyone has a good, great holiday and uh, pray for safe travels and I hope everybody has a good time with their family because that's such a blessing. Um, if you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it's been prepared in the conference room. You may uh, leave now and do that. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our closing song is 544. 544. Redeemed out of to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His transplanted mercy, His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Father, we are thankful for this day that you've given us, for the land in which we live and the freedoms that we have, that we can come together for morning worship and afternoon worship to 
praise you and sing songs to you and hear another lesson from your word. We ask that you bless each and every one of us that are here, that we have safe passage home. As we go about our daily activities this week, Father, it'll be different than normal. As we have holidays that are man-made and that uh, you watch over us and keep us safe in our travels and be with our families that have already traveled home and we're thankful for their safe arrival and be with those that are still traveling. Go with us through this day. Bless our sick and our shut-ins. Keep us all safe. Watch over us. In thy son's name we pray. And amen.